everyone. I'm your host, Sheila Nall, and welcome back to I'm Freaking Lonely, Tell Me Your Story. If you're a return listener, I guess you've enjoyed hearing people's stories and shared life experiences as much as I have. If this is your first listen, then I think you've picked a good one. The reason I say this is because today we're faced with an unprecedented rollback of women's rights. It's important for us to remember and acknowledge the hard work done by women over the past century and a half to make things better for us and fight for change. My guest today, Joan Bartle, is one of those fighters, a true trailblazer in feminism working tirelessly in the 70s to expunge sexist language and attitudes from children's textbooks and readers. In response to her findings, Jo co-founded an organization called Women on Words and Images, which created a program to help illuminate and then expunge these embedded gender stereotypes. Her work was so successful that today we take for granted a lack of gender bias in educational materials. I was truly horrified to go back and read some of the texts that I myself had grown up with and took for granted. All you female listeners in particular can thank Joan and her group for the advancements they spearheaded. Today we'll talk to Joan about her path to Princeton, how she became an equal rights activist, and how she banded together with like-minded women to tackle this endemic problem. Today, Joan heads up an award-winning credit card processing firm based here in Princeton called Payment Management. She continues to be driven by her sense of justice and fairness, now also in the realm of public banking. She serves as co-chair of Banking on New Jersey, a part of the Public Banking Institute, a national movement which works to raise awareness and build momentum toward creating publicly owned banks. Joan also serves on Governor Murphy's Public Bank Implementation Board to create a publicly owned bank right here in New Jersey. We'll talk about the importance of that movement today as well. My meeting, Joan, is a testament to the success of the premise of this podcast. That the more people we connect with, the less lonely and the less ignorant, I might add, we become. I met Joan through Lorraine, who I met through Lanny, who I met through Jim, who I met through Deidre, who I met through, well, you get the picture. Welcome, Joan, and thanks for visiting me here in the garage. Before we get deeper into our conversation, what else would you like to tell your listeners about yourself? Well, first of all, Sheila, thank you for inviting me. This is <laughs> I'm great I'm so glad fun. to have you here. Yeah, it is fun. The intent is for it to be fun. Wonderful <laughs> retrospective for me. Well, I've lived here in Princeton for about 50 years, having moved here with my husband in 1968. This is where we raised our family and where I truly became an activist, which we'll talk about. I was born and raised in Philadelphia in a very middle-class neighborhood, the wonderful Philadelphia row homes. I walked to school, you know, a mile uphill both ways. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, particularly Um, in the snow. Oh my gosh. Even Um, in April. no, No school buses. Uh, went to Catholic school. Uh, we played bottle caps, hide and seek. We roller skated in, a, in the street and then rushed home at 530 to watch Howdy Doody. I remember Howdy Doody. Yeah. <laughs> and then bandstand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My mother was a homemaker with four children, worked some part-time jobs. My father was a delivery manager for Nabisco. We always had the very best cookies. I am so jealous of you. Oh, my gosh. What were your favorites? Oh, Oreos Mm. and, yeah, Dick Newtons and all those. Lucky girl. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he was a delivery manager, um, as I said, and and probably now called a logistics manager. That's a really important role. Right. Supply chain. (laughs) Uh, I had an older brother who taught me how to climb trees, slide down 
big hills, or at least they seemed big at the time, mm-hmm. and to stick up for myself. Yeah, you said that they called you a tomboy? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was a compliment, but yeah. now I guess it really, <laughs> who knows? So you were already uh, bucking gender stereotypes back then. <laughs> That's cool. Go. I also have two younger sisters who are very, very special. So we had three grandparents, lots of cousins, aunts, and uncles. Um, my mom uh, and my dad really tracked me to learn how to type mm-hmm. when yeah. I was in high school, you know, just in case, because I would just be finding a husband, have children. And so what was the use of a college education? Yeah, my expectations were, oh, you could be a receptionist or a stewardess, right? There you go. <laughs> uh, or a nurse. Yeah. Um, um, so they were not encouraging me to go to college, but I was determined to do so. Even as I was put my husband through the Wharton School at Penn, I went to the evening division first to Wharton, learned uh, accounting and law, oh, which was wow. terrific. Yeah, and then to the College for Women, where I really focused on history and anthropology. And, and oh, all. wow! So that all kind of came together. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. an interesting combination: law and anthropology. Yeah. There you go. Good background. <laughs> So, yeah, you, um, you know, when you were little, I guess you had said something about a gender stereotype experience that you had uh, for the first time. Well, yes. When I was in grade school, uh, I think it was seventh grade, I saw the crossing guard uh, and I, I wanted to do that. I wanted mm-hmm. to have that badge and, and tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was told that only boys could. Mm-hmm. Crossing guards. Yeah, my uh, husband said that he, his school in Savannah, that he was a crossing guard and uh, there were no girls. Yeah. 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 I, I think. I, it's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong. Well, did you ever get to be a crossing guard? No. Well, <laughs> coincidentally, I got to be a traffic manager at a radio station, uh, really scheduling commercials and breaks. And, and uh, so that was, that was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah sort of harken back. You're like, well, now I get to deal with traffic. Yeah. Yeah, So how did you end up in Princeton? You you know, you said you grew up in Philly, so something brought you here. Well, I fell in love with Princeton when I came here for a Penn-Princeton football game uh, when I was in high school. Uh, Yeah, it's easy to fall in love with Princeton. It's so gorgeous. The campus, (laughs) the eating clubs, uh, Nassau Street, was just uh, like a fantasy world, especially coming from my very humble, which were wonderful, um, row house, and, mm-hmm. you know, just never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many years later, when I had that opportunity to move here, I, I knew it was the place I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have a draw. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of felt that way too. Totally. Yeah, so you had said something about um, an experience you had once you had moved here that really f- sort of f- flew in your face relative to women's rights and not being accepted. What was that like? What well, actually, it was when I was looking for a house. Uh, my husband went to New York. We stayed at the Nassau Inn while I was working with some realtors. Uh, and after uh, work, I met him at the tap room, the Yankee Doodle tap room, to recap the day. Uh, and since I had no idea or saw a sign that it was a men's bar, I was refused service. <laughs> and now, t- you know, today that just is, just blows your mind, doesn't it? it? Doesn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. like, yes, it really happened. But I forgot that Princeton was an all men's school back at, yes, it was. at that time. I uh-huh. think the first 
female graduates were in 1970, although those were people who transferred in. The actual full-on was 74, wasn't it? Closer, yes, about that. Wow. Yeah, so I I was literally told we don't serve ladies. And I I just, I I (laughs) slinked away like I had done something wrong. Uh, I I was jolting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... I actually reawakened a dormant feminism in me uh, when I realized what had happened. Although I, I, there wasn't anything I could do about it, I was preoccupied with, you know, moving and kids and so forth. So yeah, so you just sort of took it on the chin. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure that tapped into, pun intended, your <laughs> sense of fairness and as yet unnamed feminism that had been brewing. Another pun for years. I understand that. Um, Later, that inspired a sit-in. So when did that happen? Yeah. Uh, what was the date? Probably uh, 79-ish, 78. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but it was a, a group of women from the NOW organization. Right. Um, Great organization. Terrific. Yeah. Uh, they asked the management to integrate uh, the restaurant. And the management said. Well, by then, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so later, on. later in the 70s. What do you want anyway? <laughs> So we uh, organized a sit-in. Mm-hmm. So we went at 12 o'clock for three or four days. We took three tables. We didn't order food. We just drank the water, and we were sure to leave a good tip for the servers. <laughs> uh, so, but nicely, Very wise. <laughs> after three or four days, they, um, uh, they said, okay, okay, well, we, we'll let women, we'll serve women. Oh, wow. But then they wouldn't take down the sign that said men's men only bar <laughs> so the organizer said well i guess we have to do another sit-in they said okay okay <laughs> was- oh gosh that's impressive well i took a lot of guts i was going to say balls but no that's not appropriate in this conversation <laughs> took guts for you guys to do that <laughs> oh gosh yeah so uh, um you know just to Things aren't exactly chronological, but um, you said you'd also worked at a radio station. And, and when you were working there, there was another gender stereotype that flew in your face. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. When my son was in second grade and my daughter in her half-day kindergarten, I took a part-time job at the local radio station, WHWH, WPSC, mm-hmm. starting in the office. And then when my daughter went to first grade, and frankly, I was... Um, able to work full-time, and I was also ready to divorce. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately. But, uh, Shit I happens. I knew I couldn't <laughs> get by on a salary. Mm-hmm. So I asked to be in sales because that looked like the place to be. And I... Oh, you'd get commission then? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Duh. So my immediate boss agreed that I would be good, but Herb Hobler, bless his soul, uh, the owner of the station literally said, girls can't sell. <laughs> So nicely, my boss. Women aren't funny either. No, I have no sense of humor. <laughs> Girls can't sell them. Women aren't funny. All these things. Uh, but my boss actually put his job on the line for me, so I was given a chance. But I was put on a commission-only basis. All the other male sales staff had a salary and commission. How can? Uh, how? What? What? I, yeah. What? The unfairness of that, it just seems to us so obvious, Yeah, you know. And I took it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, but guess what? I also outsold everybody, mm-hmm. won every contest. Woo-hoo. And then when I was named sales manager, mm-hmm. after being passed over twice, yeah. mm-hmm. 
Um, and But the nice thing, too, is that Herb Hobler later acknowledged, he remembered the incident, mm-hmm. and he said, he apologized. He's, you know, but of course girls can. Girls can sell. Girls. girls women can sell. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were still calling us girls. Of course, yeah. now I like being called a girl because I'm 71. But <laughs> so, whatever. Well, anyway, so, yeah, that um, gave you a lot of background about women's rights and how badly women were being treated and, and thought about. So let's talk about the culmination of your activism during the 70s. When did you first become aware of and alarmed by the content of your children's readers? Uh-huh. Well, after settling into the new house, uh, getting my son and daughter registered into nursery school, kindergarten, I started volunteering with a group of other young moms at the YWCA. Good old YWCA. Yeah, they're terrific. I love it. (laughs) Um, Shout out to the Y. (laughs) They were way ahead of their time because they were supporting abortion law reform. Mm -hmm. Okay, So we went there weekly. So this is pre-Roe. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I was, was that time period, too, you know, when I was in college. Yeah. Girls were going to New York to get their abortions. Yeah. So. Anyway, go on. Sorry. So, <laughs> uh, so abortion law reform was revolutionary at the time, which later moved into the movement of NARAL, which is the National Association for Repeal of Abortion Law. So I didn't even know that's what NARAL stood for. Oh, you know, I've heard of NARAL just referred to as NARAL. Yeah. and. I never knew what those initials stood for. And Real now I have learned something us. yet uh-huh. again. <laughs> See, there goes our ignorance. Thanks to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so I joined the newly forming Princeton Now organization probably in like 1969, where one of the meetings, someone read a passage from one of the school readers that our children were using to learn to read. So one of the passages was, Ugh. look at her mother. Look at her. She's just like a girl. She gives up. Mm. And, just like and a girl equally hard on boys uh the quote is he felt a tear coming boys eight years old don't cry he said to himself yeah yeah and this stuff is in print this is in books the kids are learning from it goes on girls on. give up boys don't cry yeah 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 exactly sounds like a song from the 60s <laughs> boys rescue alligators and girls watch Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it wasn't just the words, it was also the images. Yeah. There were just endless images. One of my favorite was, um, it was a, a big cardboard box that we used to play. Mm-hmm. And they show boys coming along and popping in the box and pretending it was a plane and a train and a car and they made the sounds. And then off they went. Mm-hmm. And then the girls came along. And they had played house all day. Mm-hmm. No sense of adventure. Well, <laughs> I mean, what kind of tea do you want? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> right? Oh, uh, God. Yeah, so it was... Yeah. Um, it's not just the words, it's the images. And, yeah. yeah. So we, we just really wanted to find a better uh, set of readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we discovered they don't exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And again, this was the 70s, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. yeah. So they, we had great cooperation from the uh, the librarians and the teachers. We uh, we analyzed the books uh, with on graph paper, <laughs> no computers. We checked each other's work. We really and we created themes to mm-hmm. look at. One was active mastery. Another. What does that mean? Active mastery. Well, 
how they were accomplishing various tasks mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that they were accomplishing various tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was more in the boys and not in the girls. Sure. I see. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it going. Uh, the second sex, mm-hmm. which speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice girls finish last. Yeah. Then, of course, adult role models uh, and biographies. Mm-hmm. So we published our findings in a booklet, Dick and Jane as Victims, mm-hmm. and we eventually had to form a subchapter S corporation because we started earning money. Mm-hmm. Well, that was an amazing booklet. Uh, I took, mm. certainly did take a, a look at that, and there's some of the images that are in there, and the, just the data that you guys put together and the mm-hmm. fact that you did it all by hand by and, hand. you know, bibliographies manually, like the way we used to have to do term papers. <laughs> Typing, but but yeah, by typing with a manual typewriter. But it it really is impressive work that you guys did. So, how did you parlate this movement into books, and then how did you get that out into the world? You know, well, we we were inspired by uh, our success Mm -hmm. and our our revelations and our support, Uh Uh, and so we up I, I forget the exact amount of money but we each put up um i don't know 50 or 100 dollars uh-huh. which which back in the day was, was a lot of money lot, yeah. yeah to self-publish the book oh you self-published okay yeah. uh-huh and oh yeah and then it sold out immediately oh wow and uh, we went back and we did it in a better typeface and so forth mm-hmm. so how did you disseminate the knowledge how, you know you said it sold out it, it, how did you get the word out well, there was a newly burgeoning feminist media, Ms. Magazine. I remember started. Ms. Magazine. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even Red Book published a couple articles. Wow. There were a lot of other newsletters, mm-hmm. uh, feminist newsletters that were out there, and they they just latched on to the topic because mm-hmm. they could identify with it so well. Wow. And uh, and, and to then, know, you know, and that somebody was finally shining a light on this. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then we were actually, we were really fortunate to connect with uh, a group of women in New York, in yeah. publishing in New York. Well, I got to hand it to New York women. They can really get stuff done. Oh, my. <laughs> they took us under their wings and urged us to develop a slideshow. Mm-hmm. They were working on, uh, they were working in trade publications and they published a pamphlet mm-hmm. called Miss Muffet Fights Back. Oh, really? Yes. And so <laughs> they had a slideshow and oh, they wow. supported us in doing that. And then, of all things, they arranged for us to present to the American Psychological Association. That's amazing. I, and that was in New York? It was in New York. Wow. There were a huge auditorium, and we showed our, what was called a slideshow, which is now we have digitized on our website, womenonwordsandimages.com. Oh, so you have a website now? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll definitely put that in the notes so Wonderful. people can <laughs> check it out. <laughs> yeah. So there were hundreds of professionals listening to us. Wow. It's like, I was said, that intimidating like, at all? Well, afterwards I went, oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was we got picked up by the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, wow. both on the front page. Uh, whoa. Yeah. Front page? But the wow. left hand column on the Wall Street Journal and the lower right co- box with the New York Times. Do you still have copies of it? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I'd love to so see that. So we showed the slideshow to ever, anybody who would listen, any mm-hmm. group. But then uh, this group of women from New York arranged a meeting for us with five of the textbook publishers, the presidents and vice presidents, wow. who 
It's not what you know, it's who you know. (laughs) Well, and the willingness Uh to, you know, to do something about it. That's amazing. Not just to notice it, but yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, um, so we met with them and they were totally impressed. I mean, they had, um, they have children, they have daughters, they have sons that are affected by this. Mm -hmm. And they probably didn't even realize the content of their own no. stuff. No, yeah, it was it was so accepted. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People were just sort of immune to it. Yeah. So we showed the slideshow, as I said, to anybody who would listen, and we then caught on uh, to Suze- to Suzanne uh, Keller from Princeton University, right. who was actually the first female professor to receive tenure at Princeton. Is that right? She yes. <laughs> yeah. What year was that? I mean, good it must have been early 70s. Gee, that's amazing. Um, so she actually purchased the slideshow and copies and copies of the book to for her women's studies course. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, just back to the publishers, they actually invited us to consult with them, mm-hmm. paid us. You guys were starting to make some money. And we didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> we found a way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we were on radio, we were on television, we were all over the place, traveled to Texas to testify uh, on the book adoption program. Uh, in fact, a funny story, my sister told me she got a phone call from a friend saying, Carol, there's somebody on TV who looks just like you. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that was, yeah. So in addition to Dick and Jane as victims, we did a study of primetime television shows and how they portrayed women and girls mm-hmm. uh, and published their findings in a book called Channeling Children. That's a great book. I, I was reading through some of that too. And it's just not, it's not just the shows, but the commercials. Mm-hmm. Just And then, you know, it, again, an amazing compilation of data that you guys, and analysis in that book that, that you guys put together. It just blows my mind. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a third book we published, uh, it's called Help Wanted, which was a study of sexism and career education materials. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just can imagine. There's, oh, yeah. There's a quote, Sheila, if you're a girl, you'd probably rather handle curlers than tools. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awful. Oh, my God. What else can I say? Yeah. Uh, so all of this took place from about 1969 to 75, 76. Uh, and then we knew our work was done. And... We were all on to something else. Um, but it was really nice to know that we played a, a part in, in making the changes in the world that were coming to fruition, which seemed dramatic, or totally dramatic at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting thing that you pointed out to me was uh, sort of the nature of the group working together mm. and, and sort of that, that experience of cooperation and, and teamwork that you enjoyed. There and- were... About 20 of us initially doing this, the study and the readings and the watching television, but there were seven of us who were the core group mm-hmm. um, and uh, who, you know, really took everything on as far as decisions and choices and directions to go. Mm-hmm. So what started out to be a volunteer project, we ended up earning money, but the real big payoff was the experience of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And of working with a group of women, cooperating, supporting each other, laughing, having fun, creating <laughs> new ideas and approaches to our work and our mission. And 
uh, just bubbling with ideas. Mm-hmm. There was never any bickering or jealousy. No one ever tried to take more credit. Mm-hmm. It was really, truly group solidarity. Yeah, it was not a competition. It was no, working it was, toward a common purpose. Uh, we like to say sisterhood in action. I love will. that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like that. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. We took our work seriously, and the friendships that we formed are just priceless mm-hmm. and continue today. Mm-hmm. I know I benefited from the experience, and I'm certain we've all carried those lessons uh, with us and still do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. So, you know, during that period, you really did a whirlwind of learning and, and activism. And uh, you had you had mentioned something to me, and I thought that this was, was an important thing during that era, too, because I became sort of aware of it at that time. Um, but could you talk briefly about something that you learned when you went to that uh, the NOW conference assignment? Yeah. Out of the local NOW chapter, we realized there was going to be uh, the National NOW conference in Los Angeles, and no one was in a position financially to go to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. suggested that we all chip in a certain amount of money, and if you could go, put your name in, and I chosen to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sure, sure. Uh-huh. It's quite, quite an experience. So, but it's also an obligation because I knew nothing about lesbianism. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had to come back and report on it. So that was the topic of the conference was lesbianism. Well, it was one of the major one of the topics. Major topics. So okay. I yeah. had to go to that workshop. I don't remember the specifics of what I learned, mm-hmm. but it woke me up to this world that I knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. And yet another really important aspect of women's rights is, exactly. you know, that was sort of under the rug for, for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I think I think the 70s was just a, an amazing time for, you know, the evolution of, of people's awareness of, of women's rights, both hetero and, and homosexual. Mm-hmm. And, of course, now it's even gone beyond that, which mm-hmm. is so fascinating to me. But but that was, I'm sure that was a big eye opener for you. And then you had to come back and report about it. So and you I really had to do some learning. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It was jolting in a way, mm-hmm. uh, but it was like another wake up call mm-hmm. that, you know, you did this, you committed to it. Now, now just go do it. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 I had a similar experience in that I took a course when I was in the University of Cincinnati and it was in the seventies also called Issues in Feminism. And it was a night class, you know, and um, again, the 70s, right? And um, that was the first time that I I met a group of, of lesbians there and started to just, I don't know, broaden my understanding of women in the world. It's just, you know, it's, it's all a part of learning, I guess. Um, yeah. So, you know, you, you, you did recognize that you guys had received something really, really mar- remarkable and... Um, could recognize your success, but once you had, and wowie, that's sort of, I guess you call it wowie, women on words and images, wowie, um, had achieved success. You know, how did you let go of your mission and uh, sort of move on to other areas of focus? You know, you've gotten so much sort of energy out of doing that. Then what was your next, well, next I, focus? Sure. I continued my career in sales mm-hmm. um, and I went from broadcast to publishing. I helped start New Jersey Monthly as associate publisher in 1976. And after the publication was sold about five years later, I started the New Jersey edition of a magazine called Good Life. It was a national publication with local issues. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with that kind of a a magazine. Part of it was 
local to the area to, to New Jersey. Um, and that was really great fun. Mm-hmm. A few years later, I became the Eastern Regional Manager of the Publications that range from Florida to Massachusetts. So I imagine that really took a lot of travel. Florida to Massachusetts, that's a lot. Right. But it was fun. My children were gone, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so it was, got to stay at all the fancy hotels and meet all these wonderful people. And I was the the woman from out of town with a briefcase. Uh Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot to do that much travel. Uh, it, it was fun for a while, but it got old after yeah. a while. <laughs> but that magazine then was sold, um, uh, was purchased uh, by a, a very wealthy uh, gentleman in Atlanta, places. Uh-huh. And who, uh, who they Ted just, Turner? No. No. <laughs> just kidding. Um, and he just, he just closed it down and took a tax loss. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's such a bummer. I then found, however, an industry that always intrigued me, credit card processing. Huh. Now, why would an industry like credit card processing in- intrigue you? What was it about that that intrigued the you? The mystery of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because credit cards were not as ubiquitous That was as pretty new, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Oh, and I thought, well, that's pretty magic. You don't have to write checks uh-huh. and carry cash and, yeah. So, and I love sales. Uh-huh. Cool. Uh, so I worked for a company in Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. I got to travel there a lot. Um, and like every industry, that company was sold. Uh, but I was able to take my accounts and I started my own company. Oh, good. Over 30 years ago now. Wow. Uh, so managing credit card processing for small and medium-sized businesses is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I meet people I would never have met any other way. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, from all over the world. Uh, entrepreneurs, people of all ages, ethnicities, interests, all types of business. It's continues to be very, very good. Uh-huh. Well, that's, you know, again, the, this podcast is all about connections and, you know, and not being lonely and meeting people <laughs> right. and, uh, you know, something like that, that just, you know, that's, that's kind of the joy I got out of my work was just all the different people you meet because you learn from them, you mm-hmm. know? So you must have learned a lot from all these people, how they work, how they live. Yeah, uh, different styles, uh, different aspirations. But then you can guide them uh-huh. too yep. from a business standpoint, I guess, yeah? Right, right. Uh-huh. Wow, that's, that's so I've really... been doing that for over 30 years and I have a, a right-hand person who's been with me for 23 years, mm-hmm. 23 of those years, 24 of those years, I guess. Uh-huh. That's great. And it's located here in Princeton. I work for my home. Oh, wow. Yeah. As so many people do now, particularly Uh, (laughs) post-pandemic. That's when it switched. Yeah, but you also said that you're a big proponent of public banking. Can you talk about that? What is public banking and and what made you, I don't know, champion that? Well, uh, a good and longtime friend of mine, Walt McCree, um, was always been involved in social and economic justice issues, including feminism. Mm-hmm. He introduced me to the well, concept, good for him. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> introduced me to the concept of a publicly owned bank. So um, how is that different from well, it's versus a private bank. So it's our tax money is going to private banks versus mm-hmm. and a bank that we could have much more control over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 not have the ginormous 
uh, salaries that the CEOs of oh, mm-hmm. uh, Wells Fargo's, et cetera, mm-hmm. but Bank still run by professionals mm-hmm. who are paid appropriately, uh-huh. not bonuses to make crazy deals that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, too big to fail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was, um, it was a challenge, mm-hmm. um, but I was immediately intrigued and interested. Uh, but I'll tell you, talk about a learning curve. Mm-hmm. What's a bank? What's money? <laughs> yeah. Who controls our money? Mm-hmm. Who governs our money? What are the benefits of owning a bank? What does it take to start a bank? Why is there only one public bank in the U.S. in North Dakota? Well, that struck me as really strange when you told me that, uh-huh. that there's only one public bank and it's in North Dakota. And, and, it was started, and why is that? <laughs> yes, well, it was started well over 100 years ago uh-huh. as the most the best-run bank, according to the Wall Street Journal, in the country. Mm-hmm. And it was started by a group of farmers when they realized that these big banks were coming in and buying up the land and preventing them from having their, their businesses. Oh, wow. So they, uh, it's got a wonderful history, the Bank of North Dakota. Wow, that's, yeah. you know, talk about, I don't know, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps or something, you know, to, to start uh, your own bank that way. That's very brave. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot harder to tell. But we, we delved into all the speaking with learning, first of all, mm-hmm. government, talking to government officials, bankers, credit unions, teachers unions, social justice organizations uh, throughout this New Jersey here, mm-hmm. and uh, but across the country. We attended conferences run by the National Public Banking Institute. And then we formed our own organization called Banking on New Jersey. I like that name. Yeah. So we met Phil Murphy uh, at a... I like Phil Murphy. Oh, we love Phil Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) We're so lucky in New Jersey to have him. Yeah. Uh, Good governor. He's done a lot of really good things. He really has. Yes. Um, So, but he immediately took to uh, the idea of a public bank because he's a financial person. Mm -hmm. Oh, is he? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He was a Wall Street person, actually. Oh, gosh, I didn't know that. retired in 2001, but he's... Uh, he knows money, mm-hmm. in other words. Uh, so he immediately took to it, and he sent two of his um, right-hand people to visit with my friend Walt and I mm-hmm. to learn about it. And he adopted it as one of his platforms. Wow, that's cool. And he had Executive Order 91 uh, and formed a uh, public bank implementation board mm-hmm. on which I serve. Wow. Talk about having a real hands-on impact. Kudos to you. <laughs> it's, it's a big... <laughs> Again. <laughs> it, 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 it's a complex matter, mm-hmm. uh, but one that deserves our attention, mm-hmm. for sure. How is a public bank different from, not to you know, segue back, but how is it different from like a credit union? Um, there's some similarities, mm-hmm. but this would be publicly owned versus uh, the credit union is a a kind of a closed system. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you said you're going to have another public hearing? Uh, scheduled for next Wednesday, December 13th. Uh-huh. Uh, so. Uh, what are you going to talk about at the, at the well, hearing? Well, it, it's part of the uh, platform the, to have the public uh, weigh in on, uh, learn about it and weigh in on what they want. Since yeah. it's a public bank. Yeah. Yeah. For the public. For the it's for the public. For the people. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so it's not a retail bank. It's mm-hmm. it's 
a banker's bank, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it's not where you go to get a car loan or a mortgage. Mm-hmm. We work through community banks, so it actually enhances the value and propositions for community banks because mm. we can back them up. Oh, okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's complicated. <laughs> you really have. To, you must have had to do a lot of learning to, you know, because that really wasn't your realm no before yeah so but i appreciated power of banks Mm -hmm. because of the credit card business there's right um i served on the advisory board for one of the major processing companies who was owned by u.s bank so i got to see some of the machinations Mm -hmm. interesting yeah uh, pieces Mm -hmm. wow that's cool to find something like that that intrigues you so much that you really focus on it it's cool so, uh, circling back a little bit, um, you know, I know that you're passionate about women's rights. So, are there other things that you're involved in continuing with your, your caring about women and women's rights? Well, actually, yes. I serve on the board of directors for Women's Space. Ah, yeah. Uh, for the last 18 years, actually. Mm-hmm. So, women's rights include the right to be safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Especially from abuse, sexual assault. Yeah. I learned about women's space from Barbara Boggs Sigmund, who was our beloved mayor in Princeton Borough. Oh, yeah. Back when we were a borough and and a township. Yeah. Yeah. She actually used to bring women to her home and to other people's homes in Princeton for safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then we were able to form a shelter and the agency has, has expanded to a safe space for women, and we're creating a safe space for men. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mostly use hotels for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also transitional housing, uh, consultation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very definitely. powerful counseling mm-hmm. for women, men, children, teenagers. We have a children's program that was funded by a friend of mine who was managing an estate and gave us a significant amount of money. Oh, nice. Uh, So we've created a children's program, which involves counseling and also kind of fun things for the the children and their parents, their moms mostly, Mm -hmm. where they can go to camp for a week or all six weeks Mm -hmm. uh, or fun day at Sesame Place. That's that's incredibly important for children. Uh, to be able to experience fun and just the freedom from worry. Exactly. exactly. And anxiety. So. And these day, this day and age, anxiety is so, it's, it's filtered its way into kids' lives in, in ways we can't even imagine. So, mm-hmm. so it's really wonderful that there's an organization like Women's Space to and there's, provide for that. Right. There's one in, in virtually every county. Mm-hmm. This is Mercer County. One of the things is, People have their stereotypes of who would need women's space, whether it's poor people or, but right in our backyard, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. in our neighborhoods. Yeah. There are women who are benefiting from the counseling that they receive from, because it's a specialty area. It really is. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm on the board of the YWCA and, and they also help women in, in crisis. Yeah. You know, and that's just. You can't even imagine how many women that actually applies to. And, yeah. and men as well, as oh, you say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're working actually on changing the name from women's space to more, be more cl- inclusive. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. What would that be? People space? It's not. Well. <laughs> human human space. <laughs> Safe space. Yeah. yeah I'm not uh-huh. sure. 
you know, flipping the coin of what we were talking about earlier to be more inclusive of men as well as women. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's really cool. We have to yeah, hold up that mirror and not be, um, you know, not do the thing we don't want done to ourselves. Exactly. You know? And sometimes it's, it's hard to hold up that mirror. <laughs> I know I have that problem. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Right. And then there were some other organizations that you support as well, you said? Well, I think we're on the same page in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that housing is important, mm -hmm. um, uh, hunger, safety, and children's issues mm -hmm. yeah. uh, are my main focus. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty all-encompassing, really. Well, <laughs> Human uh, needs. Yeah, Maslow <laughs> yeah. said it well. You know, you've really had um, a very storied career and have really accomplished so much um and i really appreciate you sharing all this with with me and with uh, with the listeners and well thank you uh, for the opportunity i'm so glad that you came really? up here to my garage and talked to me <laughs> some garage <laughs> and now we can maybe work a jigsaw puzzle oh yeah right. <laughs> right no i know you have better things to do but this is also my puzzle studio y'all but um but anyway any final words that you want to share with folks before we say hasta la vista um, it, it, this is a great opportunity. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think my advice is the normal advice that we need to impart to particularly young people mm -hmm. uh, to respect oneself, each other, to listen, to learn, and to uh, go for it. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, there's opportunities galore and just, just do it. Mm -hmm. And listen to your mother. <laughs> I love that. Listen to your brother. Yeah. And one thing I know I've learned from you is fight the good fight. You see something worth fighting for, do it because mm -hmm. it's amazing what you can achieve. And I'm so impressed with what you've achieved. And um, you, again, you said there was a website. Wowie has a website and people could see what your work was. Yes. The slideshow is there. Oh, that's so folks. cool. Uh -huh. uh, it's it's womenonwordsandimages.com. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. Well, I will direct people that way Wonderful. so they can be as inspired by your work as I am. Well, so thank you so much. I love meeting you. I'm I'm grateful to Lorraine and Lanny and Jim, <laughs> all of my connectors. <laughs> all of our buddies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to my listeners, I want to thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, stay connected. <laughs>